Have you ever met the connector? Well, he ponders, he helps, he creates, he writes, he speaks. He basically connects people and brings them together. I speak about Paul Solano of PS and All Marketing Group. At psandallmarketinggroup.com, you will receive an assembled group of Paul's contacts and connections that cross into many sectors of life. Please contact Paul Solano at 617-240-4130 or psandallmarketinggroup at gmail.com if you are in the market for a wide array of services. Again, please contact The Connecta, Paul Solano at 617-240-4130 or psandallmarketinggroup at gmail.com with any questions. And now... Here's Paul Solano, the host of Paul Ponders. Welcome to Paul Ponders. My name is Paul Solano of PS and All Marketing Group, and I may be reached via email at paul at paulponders.com. Thank you for joining me for my foray into podcasting. It is great to be collaborating with my friend and associate, Chalonzo Amos of PodPro Entertainment, to bring you some fun, exciting, and informative podcasts. For many years, I've been referred to as the connector, or in greater Boston circles, as the connector. With psandallmarketinggroup.com, I've created a side gate to connect you and get things done. Please sit back and relax and listen to today's podcast. If you are driving or operating heavy machinery and just listening, then please just listen and stay focused on your task at hand. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy my ponderings. Let hashtag Paul Ponders begin. Greetings, everyone. How is everyone doing? Welcome to another great episode of Paul Ponders. Hashtag Paul Ponders. I want to thank you for rating, subscribing, reviewing, and really just stopping me. I say it all the time at Stop and Shop at Pearl Street Station at all sorts of places around and about, in traffic, wherever, and just complimenting the wonderful array of guests that I've been able to have on Paul Ponders. Quick shout out to Techie Talonzo in the studio, behind the scenes, doing an absolutely incredible job with Prod Pro Entertainment. Thank you, Techie Talonzo. Hashtag indeed. So, this episode, I am very honored to have one of the newest authors in New England on as a guest. A really great guy that I've come to know. I watched him play basketball when I was a Celtics fan. I'm still a Celtics fan. I still won't get over those immediate gratification three-pointers, those marshmallows in that last game against Miami. I'm really honored to have as my guest, Mr. Rick Weitzman. Rick, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Absolutely. So for our listeners in podcast land, Rick is the author of the book, On the Road Once Again, Stories of a Former NBA Player and Scout. So, Rick, why don't we start off where where you grew up? You're a local boy, I guess, right? Yes, local all the way. I grew up in Brookline, went to Brookline High School, stayed local for college at Gladen Northeastern. I've been here ever since. I've never lived in another state. I've been to all 50 states 
in the U.S. and a couple overseas, but I've never lived outside of Massachusetts. That's wonderful. That's a that's a true Massachusetts residence for you. Well, Rick, I remember you playing for the Boston Celtics. You played on a championship team, I believe. Yes, that is correct. 1968 championship team. That's great. And I believe from reading the book, it's a wonderful book, really. For our listeners, Rick will give the information as to where where you could download the book or purchase the book. It was a great book. I love hearing you scoring the final points of the game in that game against the Lakers, I believe. Right. Right. The last two, the last points of the championship game. You know, I'd like to say that it was the, the winning two points, but we were up by a comfortable margin. So that's why I was in the game at the time. So what what is it like just being on the floor, winning a world championship in the NBA? Well, you know, growing up in Brookline, I was automatically a Celtics fan. I was one of those kids who went to sleep at night with a transistor radio under my pillow, listening to the sweet sounds of Johnny Most. Once I got passionate about the sport of basketball, it was a goal to play college ball. It was a dream, not a goal, a dream to play for the Celtics. Fortunately, I was able to experience that. It was an unbelievable experience. Now, when you played, I believe there were only 12 teams. I remember reading in the book. Yes, 12 teams. So a total of 144 players, 12 guys on a team. That's really something. And before expansion. There were two expansion teams my rookie year. Oh, okay. Seattle and Chicago. I see. And the ABA was present, I believe, right? Yeah, I also got drafted by the Oakland Oaks of the ABA, Rick Barry's team, the team he played for in the ABA. Now, did they eventually become Golden State in later years? Is that what happened? No, no. Golden State was always, was there in the NBA. The Oakland Oaks were, were an ABA team that disbanded once the merger occurred. And I think 75 or something like that. I see. I see. And I remember reading in the book that you were also drafted by an Eastern Basketball uh, League team. Well, back then, there was only one minor league, and that was the Eastern League, which was a great league, by the way. I wasn't drafted by them, but when I was done with the Celtics, I played a season for the New Haven Elms in the Eastern League. That was quite interesting as well. Oh, I bet it was. I bet it was. Now, I remember reading from the book, and I I knew this from being a Celtics fan, that Bill Russell was player coach. What was it like playing for such a legend, such a great guy? You know, the whole team was legendary to me. Again, as a local kid growing up idolizing the Celtics, the the whole team was was, uh, legendary. Russell was was the most unique person I think I've ever met. Obviously a great talent, but one of the most intelligent people I've ever been around as well. Think about being the best player on the team, as well as being the coach of the team with no assistant coaches. I mean, today there are seven, eight, nine assistant coaches. I I still don't know what they all do. You know, Russell had to handle it all by himself. He won two championships as a player coach in three years. I loved your bit about the championship ring on how it never really changed from like 1956 to 1968 or something. And then they changed. 
69, the NBA got involved in the making of the ring. You want to tell us about that? In the beginning, when a team won an NBA championship, the team had to pay for the rights. The Celtics back then didn't have a whole lot of money. What Red Albat did was he hired his brother, Zhang, an artist, and had him design a championship ring. And that was given out to the first team that won won the championship, the first Celtics team. And after that, when the Celtics won another championship, the only people who got new rings were the first-time champions with the Celtics. The guys who had won it before didn't get a ring, another ring. They just had their, their original ring. And that lasted until the 69 season when the NBA took over the rings and paid for the rings and everybody got a ring every year. Very interesting. I always remember seeing the photo of Bill Russell with all the rings and the fingers. Right. He, he, he owns two rings, his first and the last, which was paid for by the league in 69. That picture, the front office people from the Celtics who had been given championship rings temporarily donated their rings so Russell could, could pose for that picture with all the rings. Fascinating. So tell me about Red Auerbach. What was it like dealing with, with Red Auerbach? <laughs> it was very, very interesting. He was crude to everybody, but he had a heart of gold to, toward his plates. Just as an example, I got a call in from Red's secretary beginning my second year. And she said, the Red wants to see you to sign a con- your, your contract. So I went in to see Red. He sat me down. He handed me a piece of paper. He said, here's your contract. So I started to read it. You know, most people would do. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? I said, Red, I'm reading the contract. And he said, not on my time, you're not. Sign it and read it on your own time. So I did. Wow. I love it. I love it. That's a great story. Now, I want to thank you for your service. You served in the Army Reserves. So I I want to thank you for your service. But it's interesting how you came to become part of the Army Reserves. (laughs) Well, first of all, Northeastern is a five-year school with the co-op plan, which is an outstanding plan. So what we as students did was we'd go to school for a semester and then we'd go to work for a semester. That the, the, the co-op department would find us a job in our our field of interest. So that took five years. I finished my fourth year and was eligible to be drafted by the NBA. And I was. Once veterans camp started in the fall, I was supposed to go back to school, which I obviously couldn't do. And I didn't want to drop out of school because the Vietnam War was raging and I didn't want to get drafted by Uncle Sam. So I set up with the co-op department that my co-op job for that semester would be playing for the Boston Celtics. You know, a situation they had never encountered before, but they went along with it. So I played until around December or whatever when the semesters changed. And then I had to go back to school. So I went to see Red, and he said, go see a guy at Kennedy's Men's Store in Boston. I looked at him. I said, Red, 
I don't need any more clothes. He said, just go see the guy. So I did, and and the gentleman and I had a nice conversation, and he said, uh, tomorrow, go see Sergeant so-and-so at the Boston Army Base. And I did that, and that was my induction into the Army Reserves. So I was able to, at that point, drop out of school and not have to face you know, the Vietnam War issue, and I could continue playing for the Celtics. Wow. Well, thank you again for your service. Really, truly appreciate it. I know after, the, after your basketball career, you went into, and maybe simultaneously, you were, in fact, doing some basketball camps, but you uh, did a lot of coaching and mentoring of, of players. Yeah. After I was, I was through with professional basketball, I accepted a job as a teacher and head basketball coach at, at Peabody High School. I taught for 13 years, coached for 10, and loved every second of it. But it, it, the time came when my daughters kept saying, Daddy, we need this and we need that. And there just wasn't a whole lot of money in teaching and coaching. So I had to leave teaching and get a real job. But I loved every second of it. And the coaching part was my salvation, really. I mean, uh, I loved teaching kids how to play. And I've maintained a great relationship with my former players. I, I mentioned in the book, one of my former players is now my electrician. One's my plumber. One is my contractor. It's been a great relationship. Well, I have some friends who are from PBD. We'll talk offline about who thinks you're a Mr. Hall and Opus, and uh, you you were you had a great impact in their their lives and all. So I I applaud you on on that. So thank you for that. Thank you for your years as an educator. So then we have to, and we'll get into the thrust of the book. And again, for our, if you're just tuning in, the name of the book is On the Road Once Again. Stories of a Former NBA Player and Scout. So we've covered the player aspect, but scouting, what do you look for in that future NBA wow walk-on-water player who's going to beat LeBron James and beat Larry Bird and everything? Well, What do you look for? That's not a simple answer to that question. Fortunately, when I started scouting, I was mentored by two of the very best, obviously Red Auerbach. And the time, the assistant, an assistant coach and director of player personnel, Jimmy Rogers, um, and they essentially taught me how to scout. My first few years, I was like the little guy in the corner. I, I listened, but I didn't talk a whole lot in meetings, just trying to absorb as much as I could. But over the years developed sort of a philosophy on scouting. The first thing you look for in a, in a player, college or even high school, is talent. Obviously, he's got to have the talent, but, but I looked for more than just the talent. I looked for a lot of the intangibles. I would always watch a player when the coach took him out of the game. I wanted to see it, how he reacted to that, if he cheered for his teammates or when he was on the bench, or if he just sat at the end of the bench and waited for his turn to come back in the game. Also watched for how he interacted with his teammates. I mean, there were a lot of issues in 
you know, when you're looking at different position players, you're looking for different things. For instance, when I looked at a big guy, the first thing I looked for was his footwork. If he didn't have quick feet, he wasn't going to make it in the NBA. Then I looked for his hands to see if he had good hands. And, and then I looked to see if he could score inside or what kind of defensive presence he, he was. When I looked for a guard, it was totally different. I wanted to see how easily he could beat his man for his own shot, how he ran the team. You know, was he a, was he a distributor or a scorer first? A lot of different things that you look for, that I looked for when I was evaluating players. Interesting. Truly, truly interesting. Now, you said earlier that you have visited all 50 states. Yep. And you've scouted in all 50 states. Is that safe to say? That is correct. I told you offline, I'm a graduate of Boston College, and I worked with a basketball program when I was at, at BC. And I remember, you know, meeting students, uh, players who played at the DeMathas, the Dunbars, the Hotbeds. And, you know, football, you had like the Molar Eyes. You had, you had all sorts of great, great Hotbeds out in other states outside of New England. Would you um, focus where, where Red was really from the Washington area? Would you go down to, would you like focus on the Dunbars and the DeMathas of the world? Or no, how, how not- did that work? Not at that time. We were only able to scout and draft high school players for a few years while I was scouting. So I I saw, for instance, I saw Kevin Garnett play in high school. I saw Kobe Bryant play in high school in Pennsylvania. I saw Tracy McGrady play in high school, I think in North Carolina. But it, it was so hard to evaluate high school kids to see if they ever could make a difference in the NBA and how long it would take them. I mean, Kevin Garnett, I knew could play in the NBA right away. He was 6'11". He was a great passer. He, he knew how to play. Kobe Bryant, I thought at that time that it would take him about three years before he really got comfortable playing in the NBA. And that's exactly what it took him. I didn't focus on any particular area when I was scouting, I focused more on players and, and where they were playing. I see. I see. So I, when I think back to the genius move of drafting Larry Bird as a junior, where he had that eligibility, that's a huge heads up. That that really put put us on the map. Obviously, you know, again and for for um, many many seasons and all. But drafting Larry Bird as a junior out of Indiana State was really a great, great move by by Red to um oh, to do absolutely. that. Yep, absolutely. He he uh bamboozled the rest of the of the league. They didn't think what he did was legal by NBA terms, but it was. And it was a great move. That was before I got into scouting. I, I think I was broadcasting at the time. But I marvel that at some of the things that Red was able to accomplish. The other unbelievable move was trading the number one draft pick, which turned out to be Joe Barry Carroll, to Golden State, and in return received the number three draft choice, which turned out to be Kevin McHale, and as a throw-in, Robert Parrish. Wow. The, hence the big three. 
That's great. Now, another player that came along, and I believe you are responsible for finding Reggie Lewis. Well, you know, Reggie played at my alma mater at Northeastern, so it was an easy get-to for me to see him play, and I saw him for sure more than any other scout in the NBA did for his senior year. I got to know Reggie, loved him as a person, thought the world of him as a player, had no doubt in my mind that he would be a terrific NBA player. So when the draft came up and we started talking about players, the head scout for the Celtics at the time wanted to draft one of two other players. I mean, we had the, I think, the 23rd pick in the draft that year. He wanted to draft two other players. And again, I was in that quiet kind of mode, but I couldn't see that. So before everybody went downstairs to the draft, I, I stood up and gave it my best shot, talking about Reggie and how we should draft Reggie. And I obviously convinced Red as he drafted him. And then the funny thing is when, when Red met with the media and they asked him how it all came about, Red said something like, I don't know why we pay these scouts all this money to travel all, all around the country and when we wind up drafting someone right down the street. And he turned around and looked at me. If Reggie had bombed out, that probably would have been my last time scouting. But fortunately, he didn't. Without a doubt, absolutely. I have to ask you, I don't remember it being covered in the book, but how many frequent flyer miles have you accumulated in your, your career? <laughs> well, first of all, I used up all my frequent flyer miles by shuffling my, my two daughters back and forth from, from college. Whenever they wanted to come home, dad had frequent flyer miles. My wife and I went on some trips with frequent flyer miles. I had close to a million and a half miles on Delta Airlines and close to a million miles on US Air. Those were the two airlines that I, I traveled on most of. Wow. Wow. And you had some international travel. Not too much though, right? Oh, not too much. I, I, I preferred to stay as close to home as I could. As I got along in scouting, we, we had an international scout that, could, that was supposed to handle all that. But I did, did do some scouting in Italy. That was pretty much it as far as international. Believe me, I was busy enough traversing the, the country scouting. I mean, I figured it out one year. I was on the road during the basketball season approximately 21 days out of every month. That didn't leave much time to take a European vacation to see players. Well, as we start to wind down, I want our listeners to hear the story on how you got your uniform number with the Boston Celtics. If you want to let our listeners know, <laughs> great story. All right. Well, when I went to veterans camp and we had exhibition games and inter-squad scrimmage games, they gave me uniform number 25. And that was fine. I didn't care. And as long as it said Celtics on the front, I couldn't have cared less what number it was. And then when the first game, first regular season game, opening night approached, I walked into the locker room and everybody's uniform was hanging from the lockers. And I looked around for number 25, but it wasn't there. And I said, oh, oh, I think there's a problem here. 
And so I just stood there. And finally, the equipment manager came over to me and he said, they decided to retire Casey Jones's number 25. You're wearing number 26. And I saw it over there hanging all by its lonesome. And I got there as quick as I could, put it on, and that was that. And the rest, as they say, is history, right? (laughs) I guess. Well, Rick, I want to thank you for being with us on this podcast. I'll mention the name of the book again. On the Road Once Again, Stories of a Former NBA Player and Scout. And how do how do our listeners get hold of this wonderful, great read? Well, it, it was self-published through Amazon because my son-in-law, Mike Cloherty, mm-hmm. who you've had on your po- podcast, wrote his book and self-published it. So when I found that out, I said, Mike, one of my books ready to go. You're going to walk me through self-publishing. And he did. So it's on Amazon. Anybody who's interested can either look up the title in the Amazon search bar or my name. They'll have two choices, a paperback or a Kindle version, an ebook version. They're both still available as far as I know. Our operator is standing by. MasterCard Visa accepted? I guess. Okay, there we you know, go. I, you know, it's like a, it's like a purchase from Amazon. Whatever whatever card people use to purchase stuff from Amazon, they can use to get the book. All righty, super. Well, Rick, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on another episode of Hashtag Paul Ponders. I know we probably could have gone on for another half an hour with some many wonderful, wonderful stories, but I want to thank you for your career as an educator professional basketball player in the military, Army Reserves, and just being an all-around great person. So I I thank you for being with us on this podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. As we wind down, let me just do this closeout here. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Hashtag Paul Ponders. And I want to thank you for rating, subscribing, reviewing, and just letting your friends know that you could reach me at paulponders.com or PSNL Marketing Group. It's been a great episode. More great episodes to come. Again, thanks to Rick Weitzman. On the road, once again, stories of a former NBA player and scout. Please check it out on Amazon. Hashtag Indeed. I trust that you have enjoyed Hashtag Paul Ponders. Again, my name is Paul Solano of PSNL Marketing Group. And I may be reached via email at paul at paulponders.com to do some more pondering. Many thanks to my longtime collaborative friend and associate, Alonzo Amos of PodPro Entertainment, in bringing you our fun, exciting, informative podcast, You Rock, Techie Chalonzo. With PNS and All Marketing Group, I created a side gig to connect you and get things done. Please do not hesitate to reach out to me at paul at paulponders.com with any questions. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Paul Ponders. Follow us on Twitter at Paul Ponders Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Paul Ponders Podcast. Thank you again for listening to Hashtag Paul Ponders, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our website paulponders.com, or wherever you stream your podcasts. 
subscribe, stream, rate, and review our shows. Your ratings and reviews help our show reach new audiences. Produced by PodPro Entertainment. Hashtag Paul Ponders lives within a network of podcasts located at podproentertainment.com. Hashtag the new radio. Until we meet again, my friend, stay well. Hashtag indeed.